It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. The last nearly 2,000 years, hundreds of millions of people who profess to be followers of Jesus gathered together on this day to celebrate this idea that a guy who claimed to be the Son of God was sent from heaven by his Father to earth, ultimately killed on a cross, crucified, and then three days later, He'd predicted he was gonna rise again and then he actually pulled it off, what we call the resurrection. Listen, this story sounds a little far-fetched, right? In fact, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. This story sounds incredibly far-fetched. And if you're a little skeptic, you know, a bit, bit, bit skeptical when you hear this story, maybe some of you, this first time you hear this story, you're like, what? God, son, death, wrote, wait a minute. And maybe some of you who are now followers of Jesus can remember a time when you were skeptical and you heard the story like, no, this. And here's the reality, by the way, in an age where gaslighting and fake news are on the increase, I recommend having a healthy dose of skepticism running through your body. It'll probably safeguard you from being taken for a ride and certain aspects in certain times and you know this thankfully fact checking is now easier than ever because we all carry the internet around with us a little portable fact checking machine so when someone says something to you and you find yourself thinking yeah i'm not sure i believe that you can just reach for your phone ask the internet and find out hopefully the truth fact checking it's called now, let me let you in on a little home truth. Fact-checking happens to me far more than I appreciate. In fact, it even happens inside my home. About a month ago, Louisa, my wife and I, we were watching some NBA. It was coming close to the playoff season and watching some NBA and uh, Louisa says to me, you know, is NBA very popular? And I said, yeah, actually it is incredibly popular. In fact, of the major US sporting codes, it's the most popular. And it'll, not just within the, the US, but also globally, far more fans and eyeballs and so on and so forth. And she's like, oh, is it the most popular sport in the world? And I said, no, 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 it's not the most popular sport in the world. The most popular sport in the world in terms of eyeballs and participation is soccer. And Louisa says, really? Are you sure about that? Now, here's why this response is problematic. Louisa is the daughter of a Italian migrant father who, to say that soccer ranks alongside Catholicism as his personal religion would be an understatement, okay? The guy lives and breathes soccer. Now, he's retired now, but his working career, he worked as a grano worker, concreting, concrete, you know, the famous Roman uh, cry, we came, we saw, we concreted. Well, that was him, right? And uh, he did that. He also worked uh, a second job cleaning 
like after his concrete job, he would do office cleaning. When the World Cup came around every four years, he would spend 30 days sleep deprived, pour concrete by day, clean on the evening, and then stay up all night and watch every single match, including countries that we haven't even heard of playing. This is where Louisa grew up. In fact, one year, Louisa stayed up with her dad on the couch to watch Italy play someone else. And at one point in the game, the opposing team scored a goal against Italy. And Louisa watched as her father actually passed out and fell off the couch onto the floor unconscious, okay? So, and all I'm saying to her is, yeah, actually soccer's the most watched sport in the world and it's actually the, the only sport in the world that's played in every single country in the world. And she reached for her portable internet device and fact-checked me. Little bit of skepticism there. But the reality is we're more inclined to believe people who have touched it, seen it, tasted it, smelt it, experienced it, you know? Um, Netflix, they know this. Now you've got a feature when you're doom scrolling, figuring out what to watch. You've got a list that says top 10 in Australia today. And it's telling you, these are the good shows. You probably should watch them. Other people with taste have watched them. They liked them. You liked them. They send you an invasive email. Anyone get the email? The email is called what people in your area are watching. So it's not just enough to know what everyone in Australia is watching. It's what your people are watching. And your tribe likes it. So it must be good. So you should watch it. Never experience FOMO again. This week, they added another feature. It's a feature that pops up early in the scroll that says, uh, very liked shows. Doesn't care who, just like a lot of people like this show, so you should probably watch it and you'll like it too. And we're like, oh, okay, good enough for me. Online retailers know the importance of reviews. And that's why when you buy something online, about two weeks after you've had it delivered, you'll get sent a follow-up email. How's that working for you? Give us a one star, a two star, maybe even a five star. How, how many people, by the way, with recent shipping delays into Perth have received the email before you've received the package? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Intensely frustrating. You're like, well, I'd like to review it, but I'd first like to get it. They just tell you to contact Australia Post. The ultimate blame shifting. <laughs> no, I didn't buy it from Australia Post. I bought it from you. Go and find it. <laughs> Yelp. There's a whole company called Yelp built on reviews. People who have tasted it, smelt it, experienced it. And if you get a good Yelp review, it must be good. And if you get a stinking lousy Yelp review, don't go there. <clears throat> well, I'm going to show you some eyewitness accounts recorded by one of Jesus' hand-picked followers, a guy named John. Now, here's the scene. I'm going to drop us into the very first Easter Sunday, okay? On that morning, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, another Mary uh, from a town called Magdala, and we kind of call her Mary Magdalene, uh, and a couple of other women, they actually went at dawn 
to the tomb that Jesus' dead body had been placed in. And the reason they were going there was to finish the, the, the Jewish customary burial practices. So they had the various uh, oils and balms and herbs and so on and so forth going there to the tomb. They arrived at the tomb. Like the eyewitness Roman soldier just said, the, the, the tombstone had been rolled away and they found the tomb empty. They were the first people to see the tomb empty and the very first person they saw at this point standing outside the tomb was Jesus, very much alive. They mistook him for the gardener at first glance because the point is they were going expecting to see him alive. Are you the gardener? No, I'm Jesus. Oh yeah, I thought you looked familiar. Mind blowing, okay? So they run back to where the, the, the Jesus followers had been sort of hiding out because they thought they might be next at the hands of the Romans. Uh, and John writes this. Later on that day, the disciples had gathered together, but fearful of the Jews, had locked all the doors in the house. Jesus entered, stood among them, and said, peace to you. Then he showed them his hands and side. And the disciples, which just a spoiler, this is one of the most uh, un <laughs> understated uh, answers in the whole Bible. The disciples, seeing the master with their own eyes, were awestruck. I'm like, I'm thinking about it. John's like, what's a word which means very impressed? <laughs> awestruck. Well, Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you. Just as the Father sent me, I send you. But Thomas, sometimes called the twin, one of the 12 that Jesus had handpicked was not with them when Jesus came. Eventually and ultimately, the other disciples told him, we saw the master. So what we're reading here is an eyewitness account of John giving an account of the eyewitnesses and their response, okay? With one exception, Thomas. For some reason, Thomas was MIA. And we, we don't know why. Uh, I think a clue might be the fact that Thomas, whilst the others were fearful, I wonder if Thomas was just so incredibly disappointed that he couldn't bring himself to hang out with them. Or, or, or potentially, maybe he's one of those pragmatic, proactive types and he just moved on. And you think, well, come on, Thomas, it's only been three days. But the, the point is that these early followers, they'd left everything. They'd given up everything. They'd left their families. They'd left their businesses. They'd left their hometowns and villages and, and gone all in to follow Jesus. And Jesus had been promising them through the three and a half years they were following him, had been promising them that he was gonna be king that he was gonna rise from the dead. And yet he was Thomas and the others, no proof of life. So I can kind of throw Thomas a bit of a bone here as to why he wasn't hanging out with the others, hoping something, you know, things were maybe about to turn around. <clears throat> I wonder if, if you've ever in your life found yourself in that, you know, I'll call it a Saturday situation where something bad happened to you. You know, you lost the job. 
and now you're wondering if you can keep the home and make the mortgage payments. You'd put your life savings into that business venture and now the business has failed and your life savings have been evaporated. Maybe the ink has just dried on the divorce papers and you're thinking, what's next? You know, hope leaks real quick, real quick. Now, I don't know if Thomas ultimately came back to them. I suspect it's more likely that they went and found Thomas, but they couldn't seemingly wait to see him because on that very day that they'd seen Jesus, the very next thing they made a point to do was to find Thomas and reassure Thomas, Thomas, hope is alive because Jesus is alive. We've seen him with our own eyes. Now, here's Thomas MIA. The lads have found him. They, they haven't, they're not, on that day, they're not telling him some fairy tale, once upon a time, Jesus. We just saw him. He crashed our party. And you, look, I'm reading that account and I'm thinking to myself, surely Thomas's next utterance is, Wow, you have got to be kidding me. You saw him? That's incredible. Take me to him. Where it? Like, right? Right. No, wrong. But Thomas said, yeah. I mean, this is the skeptic. Unless I see the nail holes in his hand, put my finger in the nail holes, ill, gross, and stick my hand in his side, grosser, I won't believe it. Now, this is what we call in the English language being hyperbolic. This is Thomas essentially saying, when pigs fly, boys. He didn't think he was ever gonna be in a position where he'd have to actually do this, the finger putting and the hand putting. He was just basically saying, it's never gonna happen. So I'm gonna say the most outrageous thing I can think of in response to this obviously untrue news that you've just shared with me. And it's for this very moment and from this day forward, <laughs> for nearly 2,000 years that we threw Thomas under the bus and we call him Doubting Thomas. Your mum's probably said it to you, don't be such a Doubting Thomas. <laughs> Poor old Tommy. And here's the thing, if I were God, I would have sent Jesus now not 2,000 years ago. Because if Jesus came back from the dead now, I'd just get my phone out and I'd take a picture and I'd send this to Thomas. I'd go, look who just showed up. And he'd be the artist, oh, it's a deep fake. It's a deep fake. Well, let's take a group photo. <laughs> no, no, no. You could have just Photoshopped him in there. All right, Thomas, let's FaceTime him. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, come here. Hey, Thomas, what's up? Right? And then we could have recorded videos and they could have been put on YouTube and then quite a few million views, quite a few likes, show up in your scroll. But no, we don't have that. 
we only have the written accounts of eyewitnesses. But here's the thing. That's how history has worked until Steve Jobs invented, allegedly, the iPhone. A year ago, uh, we were on the market for a new vacuum. I say we. I'm, I'm the chief, I'm the CVO, I'm the chief vacuuming officer of our, our household. Up to this point, we'd been using the vacuum that Louise's uh, grandfather had given us for our wedding present. And it's a Nilfisk, Nilfisk, pretty good brand, pretty good brand. Uh, but it's one of the, it's one of the, um, Vacuums, I don't know what they're called, but like you've got the vacuum attachment and then the hose and then the thing with the wheels and then the lead. It follows you around like an untrained puppy, hitting into the, the walls and scratching your skirting boards. And then if you want to change rooms, you've got to unplug it. You've got to go and hope the actual lead coils up. And, and, then, and then you've got to change the bag, but you don't know when you have to change the bag. There's no indicator saying it's full, so you just have to every now and then check the bag. And then you've got to change, oh, I forgot to order new bags. And then you have to go to the store and get a new bag. Who sells Nilfist bags anymore? I'm thinking to myself, surely a lot has changed in the world of vacuuming technology in over 20 years. And then I remembered, stick vacuum. Cordless bagless stick vacuum. And I remembered Dyson. Dyson, I've heard of them. So I go on to my internet machine and I start researching Dyson stick vacuums. I don't go onto the Dyson website. I go onto the product review website because I don't want to read the rubbish that Sir James Dyson is feeding me. I want to know what it's doing for the people that are pushing it around their living room. Well, let me let you, they were pretty impressed. So I thought to myself, all right, a, a new Dyson stick vacuum is going to run you about 1200 bucks. I'm thinking, I haven't even bought a vacuum in 25 years. 1200 bucks? I want to physically get my hands on this thing before I'm parting with that amount of money. Discovered that there is now a Dyson demonstration center in Perth like the Apple store for Dyson's. I'm like, great. So I get on my little Vespa, hoof it over to Osborne Park. Obviously, that's where it's at. And I go in and it's there I met Phyllis. Now, I'm not gonna make any generalizations here, but with that name, you know she wasn't in her 20s. <laughs> Phyllis, oh my gosh, Phyllis. Phyllis got the vacuum out. She put it on the table that they have there. She lined up all the attachments and then she starts talking me through them. My eyes glazed over after, glazed over after about attachment number four, but they didn't seem to put Phyllis off. She kept powering on. Then she starts telling me about the cleaning schedule. I'm like, well, that's a bit presumptuous, Phyllis. You presume I'm gonna buy this thing. Then on the floor, they've got like different flooring laid out. So she starts chucking Fruit Loops down on one floor. She starts shaking sand onto the carpeted section. Um, and then she get, gets the different attachment and boom, I've never seen cleaner floors. 
I'm telling you, I didn't write a product review. I bought that thing. I bought it. I was going to buy two. I mean, I was, I was going to buy one for everyone I know. I mean, I didn't write a product review because it seemed like... I, I, I wrote Sir James Dyson an email saying, I've just found the next CEO of Dyson. Her name's Phyllis and you can find her in the Aussie Park store, mate. Unbelievable. I literally, after the Fruit Loops went on the floor, I said, listen, Phyllis, I've seen enough. <laughs> you can stop now. I'm going. I'm taking it. Don't even put it back in the box. I'm, I'm putting that thing to work the second I walk through my door. <laughs> on the Vesper under the arm. Probably shouldn't go on the freeway at this point. <laughs> anyway. Phyllis, I love you, but I've seen enough. Well, eight days later, after the lads had found Thomas and told him what they'd seen, his disciples were again in the room. However, this time Thomas was with them. Jesus again came through the locked doors and stood among them and said, peace to you. And then he focused his attention on Thomas and Thomas did this take your finger and examine my hands take your hand and stick it in my side don't be unbelieving believe and Thomas said my master my God I've seen enough and Jesus said yeah you believe because you've seen with your own eyes and then he includes us in his next statement. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Now, let me just land this. I gotta get home to vacuum. Uh, <clears throat> all this Dyson talk's got me worked up. Um, I'm inspired, I'm motivated. Let me just, just as we finish, or I finish up, let me just double click on a few things from this. Number one, Jesus didn't call Thomas doubting Thomas. Jesus didn't titch titch him. I mean, peace to you. Then he focused his attention on Thomas, and the Jaws theme music started in Thomas's mind. And the thing about this is, Jesus doesn't see you and label you and identify you based on your worst moment. He is coming to get you. He's coming to get you healed. He's coming to get you whole. He's coming to get you restored. And the same response that he gave to Thomas is like, I've, I, I, I heard about it, Thomas. I heard what you said. It wasn't good. It wasn't cool, but, but I see beyond that. I see your potential. I see you and I resuming our relationship and in fact, taking it to a whole nother level. And you and I have access to that exact same Jesus. We don't need to run from him. We need to run to him. Yeah, he's out to get us. Get us better. Get us reestablished. Get us heading back in the right direction. Another thing I'll double click on is, is 
Thomas thought he needed a demonstration. He thought he needed to be able to put his hand and, 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 and what he found was Jesus' presence was enough. We can take hope from that. We can be in our own despair, in our own darkness, in our own Saturday situations and know that if we invite Jesus, if, if we turn to him, his presence will change everything. And then finally, we have the opportunity to be in this group. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. You know, my faith is established because I believe the eyewitnesses. I believe what they saw. I believe what they wrote about what they saw. And this has stood up for nearly 2,000 years. And again, like I said right at the top, this sounds like a once upon a time fairy tale. You'd sooner believe that Harry Potter was real than this story was real. I get that. Yet these are people, by the way, Thomas went from this very situation, eventually traveled as far afield as India, where, where he was telling people about Jesus, about what he'd seen with his own eyes. And ultimately, he was killed in India, ironically stabbed with a spear. I mean, but he was willing to do that because this moment changed everything. He'd said to Jesus, I've seen enough. And now my life mission is to ensure I get this message out there to the point where he did it to his dying breath. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live, and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.